Welcome to Better Family Travel with Amy and Kathleen, the podcast where we'll help you plan fun, enriching, and affordable experiences for you and your family that meet your goals. We'll ask ourselves hard questions, reveal our mistakes, and share a new perspective on what better family travel can look like for you. Whether you're a seasoned traveler or your journeys are just starting, you're a better family traveler just by tuning in. Welcome back, listeners. This is Better Family Travel. I'm Kathleen Monroe with Amy DeCesare. Hey, Kathleen. So we don't have a guest today, as you know, and there's a topic that's been on my mind quite a bit lately. It began with a training at work. We were really lucky to have this training, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And it's a book I'm familiar with. It's Dr. Stephen Covey. And for people who are not familiar with it or only like in passing, he basically studied 200 years of what makes people successful and really looked at it and then broke into the scholarship of the seven habits. And the first 150 years of scholarship is really more about character and and the last basically 50 years and he's been i think passed away in the early 2000s like 2008 or 12 something like that is more about personality more like what you show the outer part of the world and not that like deep roots of character and so in that background one of the things that he talks about the first habit is a paradigm shift and shifting our paradigms and how we perceive the world how we perceive situations and how that can bring us a different response with the paradigm shift. And the quote that he uses is a quote that I've really been thinking about a lot lately. And he says, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space lies our freedom and power to choose our response. In those choices lie our growth and our happiness. And I find myself thinking a lot about that space, that space, that concept of space between stimulus and response, this moment of nothingness when we have a choice and exploring that space because, you know, between life pre-pandemic, you and I have had many talks about it. Many of us have felt it, that constant stimulus response. You know, we have to pack the bags, get to school, get to work, get the kids from here, go there, go there. And it's stimulus response, stimulus response. And we don't have that space, that gap. And I felt like that part of that, you know, not by choice necessarily, but that pause that many of us had is that space, that space. And I've seen so many people making different choices, not necessarily because they had to. Some of it is had, you know, you've had to make different choices in your life, but also a point to re-examine and reflect what, what you're doing and what you really want. And are you on that course that you really want to be on, a break between that stimulus and response. And I saw it again this weekend. This weekend, we were lucky enough. So here in New England, it was 48 degrees on Sunday. So in 48 degrees in March means my children think that it is summertime. And we were lucky enough to go to the beach. And my daughter had her shoes off and you know, it was all I could do for not going in the water. I had to find, you know, finally let her dip her toes in, but it's 48 degrees out. It's sunny and 48, but it's 48 degrees out. You know, William said he wanted to go swimming. This is the same child at the end of August was like, it's too cold to go in the pool. But now March, yeah, let's go in. So anyway, so we went up for a walk on the beach near where my parents live. We went down 
and we walked along the beach at the end of the beach we go we can go up off the beach and there's an old beach playground nothing super fancy but there's you know a few sets of swings and like a climbing bar and we stayed there for a few minutes and honestly the the, the kids are doing the activities and they say they want to be there, but they're, they're bored. You could tell they're bored, right? They're, they're, there's just, they're not really fully, they're, they're, they're going through and they're playing with the stuff, but they're jumping from thing to thing to thing to thing. And maybe I was bored too. I don't know. I mean, I was looking at the water. It was beautiful. So we started walking back. And then on our way back, we came back to like the little rock jetty that goes out into the ocean. And it was a beautiful calm day. Again, 48 degrees at the ocean in March. So not a beach, not a summer beach day. Not a sunbathing day. No. Not a sun. And so we're on the rocks and I let the kids climb the rocks. And they find themselves as they're, they're skipping from rock to rock over the ocean. And they're pausing and they are fascinated with the spaces between the rocks. And I don't know if like life is just too much of a metaphor for me these days, right? And it could be, and you could be like, listen, go have a glass of wine, you need to go. But their fascination with that space between when like the thing you're supposed to do, you're supposed to go to the playground and they'll tell you they love the playground. And I think they, they do have a good time, but it, it didn't hold their attention and their fascination. Okay. So what I'm hearing and kind of putting these pieces together is that when we talked to Alexandra Lowry about forest bathing and being in the outdoors. We talked a lot about executive function and attention Mm -hmm. and the stimulus that we constantly are seeking as humans. What you're describing to me are kids who in the space of having been very busy and occupied prior to COVID Mm -hmm. and now having had this long break from a routine that was pretty familiar to them, they've learned not to rely on something that's been put there to entertain them. A swing can be used in many different ways. You can play the floor as lava. I mean, there's lots of ways to do a playground, but your kids and many kids have played the playground out. They know what those pieces are for. And there's tons of creativity, I'm sure, still left in there. But when they see a structure that's built for them to do something with, they are now looking they're looking more organically at what their brains can do for doing the thinking and doing the playing and finding that stimulation. And what you're describing is exactly that. They found the rocks and not just the rocks, but spaces between the rocks to explore something maybe like the negative space in art that people talk about. Mm-hmm. Is it what's been ri- Is it what's been placed on the page or is it the negative space that really gives the impact? I think your kids are kind of experiencing something on a probably on a very subconscious level, but you're very observant to kind of been able to be the outsider looking in on this and thinking that is a curious thing to focus on. But I think with our discussions across, you know, the weeks here, we're kind of getting to the point of why those things might be happening. Yeah. It's, you know, we talked with Amy about the outdoor education and then we talked with Alex the following week and those were very much on my mind. And I took the time, you know, I didn't take the phone out. I mean, I did take a few pictures of them because I, I can't not, but I tried to be conscious of the sounds of diff- of using other senses of my own while I was there. You know, I, I wasn't forest bathing, but I was trying to engage more of my my senses. And it's really, you know, for me as the adult there, what I'm getting out of it is trying to practice 
I think it's the mindfulness in the moment, right? So I can't really, or me, and it could be just me, but it's hard for me to be mindful at the playground because that's just there, right? So, but to still be part of it with the kids and they were playing on the rocks, but you know, I'm watching them, I'm watching the water, I'm hearing the sounds, the sounds of the waves, the sounds, you know, the smell of the beach, you know, you can even start to taste it a little bit when you've been there. Yeah. So you're engaging all your senses and that's, that's really wonderful too. But I was fascinated watching them, you know, watching them give get space to explore. And why I wanted to talk about it here today, you know, this is a travel podcast. Again, mindset and strategies. And we've talked about that. And we've talked about, you know, do we, how much scheduling do we do on a vacation, right? You know, and it's hard because we've spent so much time and energy on these trips and to try to get the most out of the experience. But in trying to get the most, you know, are we allowing time for that space and the value of that space? And I'm just, it's just something I kind of wanted to talk about. Many of our guests have talked about the value of the downtime. I mean, you've talked about it, knowing that there are needs that your individual family members have when you're traveling mm-hmm. might mean that scheduling in the space, the downtime is just as valuable as making sure that you've done enough sightseeing. So you feel like you're getting enough out of the trip. So it's kind of a a permission that you can give yourself that will add to the experience of your vacation or your travel and not detract from it. It's not sitting around time. If you're mindful, Mm -hmm. it's not wasted time. If you provide that space with some thought put into it, Do you want to go into an environment that you haven't been before? Do you just want to allow downtime when you normally wouldn't? Like if your routine is before bed, you absolutely have to brush your teeth, take a shower, read a story, go through this whole routine. What if on your vacation, you instead go for a walk outside before going to bed or just allow everybody to sit around and relax, which is different than your routine, but you're creating us a memory in that downtime space Uh that adds a lot of value, both emotionally because everyone's well rested and not hurried, but also gives people the chance to maybe notice the pattern on the rug. And I, I know that seems silly, but there are things that my children will tell you that they remember about our trips that come directly from downtime. Right. I mean, that most of the things that they really, truly remember, I feel like is that space in between. And I'm just going to use that, like the space in between, in between the activities, in between the, not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, we love the activity. So this is not like, you can't have all space in between because then there's nothing to be between, right? Then you're just space. There's no rocks. You need your rocks. The rocks anchor you to it. The activities anchor you to it. But the the ability to explore and take a moment, take some time. I mean, I think we explored or, and I, it wasn't me. It was, they explored the rocks for like 45 minutes or an hour. You know, we were at the playground for, I don't even think we lasted 10 minutes at the playground, but also I sat back a little bit. So, and this is what I was curious about too. So I, cause I was, I was still kind of in my mind about the forest bathing and I was enjoying the sensations and I also wanted to kind of do a bit of an experiment. So this was, you know, it's hard for me when I'm in with them 
right? To not direct it subtly. Or su- Sometimes it's very subtle, right? And I and I don't know if that's me or just being an adult or a parent like, oh, did you notice the shell of the periwinkle and how it's attached? Like, so now I'm teaching, right? Or I'm pointing and I'm directing. And so I purposefully stayed back and, and I made a conscious choice to do this. And, and I, I went back and forth because I also have, although I don't have as much quality time with them. We have quantity time now, but I'm usually working, right? I, I'm working. We, we do have quality time, but I'm like, is this the time when I should be quality time and point out all the wonders of the beach and, you know, okay. teach them? Hold on. I I have something to add for you here. You, uh, when you When you started with this idea, you started talking on a very macro level. You were talking about a global pandemic. We had an event and we've got space in between. You kind of got a little bit more narrow as you started talking about, you know, what do you do between activities when you're traveling? But what you're really getting into right now is a much more myopic focus of this Mm -hmm. concept of a stimulus, a space, and a response. And so I want to ask you, when you have the stimulus, which is a thought in your head, I need to, I need to do, I need to say, I need Mm -hmm. to teach. That is a stimulus in a moment. Mm -hmm. And then your response is to speak, to direct, to do that thing that makes you feel like I'm a good mom, right? Mm -hmm. So talk to me about what does it feel like in that space in between? Because I know you're, you've been thinking about it. So you have a thought I'm going to teach, but what are, what are the feelings you're going through in that space that makes you decide I'm going to say or not say? Well, it's hard, right? Because for me, is it, you know, which one are you going to pick? Are you going to be like, I I really believe, you know, and I don't want to get too far off this topic, but it's all related, right? I really believe so much in letting kids explore and be. And one of the things I struggle with is in this modern world we live in and, and just the location of where we live, that it's very hard for them to have any adult free time, you know? And I have to talk to my husband about this because, you know, he's still very much a child of the 80s. And I'm like, you cannot let the five-year-olds go to the cemetery two doors down by himself because if he falls and gets hurt, we will go to jail. Like, and he's like, what do you mean? It's like, I'm like, no, again, no. Like, I know your parents did this. My parents, this is a different time and place. But I also know what he's getting at, that there was a value in us being, I'm leaving, I'll be home for dinner. And there was, you know, that the older we get, I think those of us who are child's children of the eighties and maybe early nineties, right. Where you had some freedom to be unobserved. You had some space, you had that space in between and you could explore the space. And there's so much in that, you know, whether it's the macro universe of pandemic, you know, or cellular level of space between like the value of that space, that space to, to grow, to explore, to decide and, and whether we're adults or kids or anything else. So, so there's two parts to it too, right? So I want, I'm, I wrestle with wanting to give them that space, but I can't give it to them completely. I don't feel I can give it to them at their age completely without observing them for their safety and because society dictates that I have to, right? So I I rob them of that space, but I also need to be there for it. 
and trying to let them direct it and feel like maybe they're not being observed so much. So that's that's one of the things I wrestle with too. I once heard, and maybe this comes from somewhere, so please pipe up or someone send us a comment if you know where this came from. But I somewhere I heard that character is what you do when you think nobody's watching you, your character. I think that we have a really great opportunity here to build children's character by asking them later to share with us what they've done in those spaces, to reflect on what did you choose to do? What kind of an explorer are you? What kind of a time spender are you? It's a really great way for us to talk about some self-awareness for them about what their character is like and what their personal choices are. And if you, you know, if you, anything like my family, you have cameras to watch your children, um, monitors, excuse me, monitors, not cameras. <laughs> um, but you can give them space where they feel unsupervised, where you have a little bit of that, you know, you can check in for safety if you need to. It's, it's important for me as a parent to wean away from that need to constantly observe as well, building trust right. in my kids as individuals. I'm sure many people are agreeing that that is a hard stage of parenting to grapple with is allowing your kids to grow up and be people on their own and just trusting that they can make these decisions and allow them to go out and build their character. It's a hard thing to do. It's It's funny because when I, I think we talked about in the first show or the second, that trip out West that my family took when I was a kid, right? The one with the leaking cooler and I sat in the back, but we went to many different places along the way. And again, I think I told you that my dad really didn't make reservations ahead of time. He would just see what we could find. So we found this hotel in Palm Springs and it was summertime. So nobody's going to the desert in August to be like, you know where we really should hang out. The desert would be great. But we did. We went there and you could get a really good luxury hotel for like, because we were not luxury hotel stairs. We were more, you know, Howard Johnson, Best Western. That's more of our speed. But we did stay there and it was this like really cool hotel. And we thought it was so great because we got a... We, got, we either got a suite or two connecting rooms, which my sister and I thought my parents got for us. <laughs> we could have privacy. Are we funny when we were like 14? <laughs> two weeks with the kids, right? But anyway, so... But the space in between. So Wendy and I went to the pool there. And I remember it still, we talk about it. My dad and I have to talk about it probably once a month or like it comes up like in different parts. This is like the family law lore or whatever. But so we went to the pool and it was just my sister and I. So we were having some of that space, that space we were talking about, right? And the, the there was a waitress at the pool, which is not something I was ever familiar with when I was... 14 years old and she came up to me and my sister and asked if we wanted a drink and I had no money. And so my sister was like, you know, shake your head. Like, no, 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 no. She's Wendy's two years younger than me. And she's like, no, no, we can't do this. Right. And so I explained like, oh, I'd love to have a drink, but I don't have, you know, I don't have any money on me. And she explained to me that you could charge it to the room. And I did not know that. And I said, really? I could just give you my room number and you'll give me a drink. And she's like, yes. And I'm like, I like that. That's funny. So I got like a virgin pina colada and I sat at the, you know, about to be a ninth grader, like all full of myself. And I am beyond grateful that my father is the kind that found that like I didn't do it all the time. This was a this was me kind of like feeling it out. It was a special and he could have been like, 
teaching me a lesson like do you know how much it costs when you charge something to the room and you have to be he, he could have right the same with me i could have gone to the kids and taught them a lesson but he totally appreciated the fact that i learned like i figured something out and i had this moment and to this day 30 some years later he's still really gets a kick out of that story. Well, you're figuring it out is a piece of how valuable and powerful the space in between can be. Amy Lapsus was the the guest that we talked to, remember, about our education. She was in Australia. One of the things that she talked to us about was her daughter preparing to go on a study abroad experience a brief travel abroad, but she was very young. 11? Yeah, I think 11 12? or 12. Like yeah, a six, yeah. Like, yeah surprise. I was, I was like, oh my goodness, that would be so hard. So, so Amy told us about the stimulus that she had was she was on a trip where decisions had to be made about what we do and where we go and how we get around in a country that's not our own. She had on the other end, the opportunity to respond in a way that would give her daughter some independent skills and teach her how to figure it out. She had to decide, I can either make my choices. I am in Australia. I am the adult. I'm going to do what I want to do, you know, as long as the kids aren't too miserable, or I can lead her to do the things that I want her to do, or I can open it up and say, I'm giving you the day, do whatever you want, but you have to get us there. I mean, Putting myself in her shoes, I think I can very easily picture myself saying, do whatever you want, I'll get you there. Mm -hmm. But she took the moment after realizing here's their opportunity to say in order to get the outcome that she needed uh, to feel that she trusted her daughter was competent and safe and ready to go on her own to another country, that response had to be unqualified. You figure it out. That must be uncomfortable. That must be, I don't know, scary, maybe even in a very fleeting moment. I think that that time when you have to make that choice, if you can sit in that for a minute and decide how do I want this to be, you know, when your responses to certain situations don't result in what you had anticipated or pictured, maybe going back and thinking about what that thought process was like at the time. Okay, so I'm a little uncomfortable after knowing that I'm at a point of decision-making, I'm a little uncomfortable and I'm a little nervous. So I've been here before. I know what this feels like. Last time I half released and gave freedom. This time I'm going to try something different. You know, just being able to recognize that there is that moment, that moment does exist, I think is quite powerful. And I, and it happens quickly. These are little, little, little moments or big moments, but recognizing and being able to sit in it for a minute, I think could really change our habits, change our effectiveness. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, because, you know, we think of it as giving them practice at, at growing up, right? Like, like Amy talked about her daughter practicing how to do this. But then you look back at like my experience at the beach, really, maybe I'm practicing giving myself some like learning that skill too, right? Start with the small things. So as they're getting bigger, 
it maybe won't be the space between rocks at the beach, but it'll be decisions about, you know, going out with friends or other things. The space is going to get bigger and I have to get more comfortable with the space too. And it's just, thing, you know, these are all thoughts that have been going around in my head. And I knew that if I talked to you, maybe I'd come to some, to, some kind of clarification. But I think about, you know, I think that story about that day with her daughter really struck both of us. And it's something I've gone back to a lot. And it takes a lot of bravery, but it, you know, because I think, and, and you know, I'd love to talk to her about it even more the more I think about it, because I think you have to keep your ob- objective in mind, because what happens when they make a mistake, we could jump in and help them, right? But then we undermine their confidence, like giving them the space to make mistakes, you know, shows them that they can fix the mistake, like get themselves unlost, you know, and I think we did talk to her, you know, a bit about that, that part of it, the getting unlost, but it takes a lot when you know that you could jump in and you could jump into that space and fix it, just get us to the destination. But it was never about the destination. It was about the journey and how you got there, right? And that's something that that space, that space where we're between stimulus and response, between the start and the end of our journey, the path along the way, that that is, again, whether it's the macro with the pandemic, but getting comfortable with that space is something I think many of us in modern society have gotten very uncomfortable with because it's result-driven. You know, it's, we have to get here. We have to do this. We have to be busy. We have to be, you know, nobody, you know, what did you do on your vacation? You only did three things? You didn't do, you know, getting comfortable with that again and going back to, you know, like, like uh, Stephen Covey said, which I found was really fascinating, how much about six, now it would be about 60, 70 years ago. There was a real, you know, it was really after World War II, right? That there's this paradigm shift in how we think about these things from character to personality. I'm trying to remember, there was a term that I heard, this is what I do. So all of you listening, just, you got to grab onto these thoughts of these gems that I have and go Google it. And then offer your corrections kindly at our Facebook group, please. I would really appreciate the lead on the source of all of my wonderful ideas because as an adult with ADHD, I kind of grasp the the big picture sometimes. I don't always get the little details. So if you got the details, leave me a comment, please, on our Facebook group, Better Family Travel. But so uh, there is a term, something like currency of stress, currency of hyper-productivity, you, you know what I'm saying? There is a culture of the value of being overbooked and stressed. And if you're not, you're not valid. You're not valuable. If you aren't filling up every minute, if you aren't working yourself to the bone and absolutely burning out all the time, you aren't pitching in. You aren't you know, pulling your weight. And young, smart, working mothers, particularly are particularly susceptible to this currency of hurry, currency of being overstressed all the time. The problem with that is the more you pack in, the less time you have to be to be mindful and to sit in those moments and to make decisions that better your next response rather than just continuing in a pattern like inertia. I, I work until midnight, because that's what I always do. I do all the cleaning in the kitchen because that's what I always do, rather than giving ourselves more time to reflect on whether that 
outcome is actually what we're looking for. You know, something else that we talked about at work, uh, you mentioned, you know, getting messages from your workplace earlier tonight. We talked about something called the locus of control, which is very relevant to what we feel in those moments before you choose your response to a situation. Right now in COVID, particularly with teachers, but a lot of us just across the world, we are struggling with how we're responding to our situations. And I know that I teach children, there's things that you can't control, but you can control how you respond to them. That is something that you have control over. And my colleagues took this another step further and talked to us about these circles of locus of control. So there's things in your life that you have control over, and that's in the center. Those are the important things that you can affect and have a difference in. Then there's a circle of influence that's a little bit around there. You can influence it, but you can't necessarily control those things. And then there are the things that are out of your control. And if you took a few minutes in those moments, like when you are sitting on the beach with your kids and you're watching them play, what is in your control at that moment? Are their learning experiences completely within your control or are they within your influence? Or, you know, is what they're going to do completely out of your control and you need to just go with the flow today? Like, is that, where are you in that moment? And so what choices can you make to affect the response that you want? Well, I think part of it is even, it goes even deeper than that because they look to me I've seen, you know, your kids look to you for that guidance. And because you can't give them that space, you know, it's hard because they they weren't not not asking me to participate. They wanted me on those rocks. And I, ma- I made a conscious choice to say, no, you guys go explore the rocks. I'm going to go sit over here. Right. And it, I, it sure. Imp- no, I'm just teasing. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, you know, there, there was the two two parts of it. I'm like, what do I do? Like, there there is a value of just getting in there and exploring with them, but they don't have a lot of opportunity right now to to go do that exploring. So yeah, that was my space between I between stimulus and response of okay, mom, join me. Okay, let me join. You. No, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna step back a little. And they would come over to me and they would show me stuff and we'd talk and you know different rocks and shells. But I wasn't head in there exploring how the water was coming through the rocks. And I mean, they spent so much time doing it. I don't want to say I had fun watching it, but I really was watching. I felt more like uh, I was more studying it. Like, what what do we do here? Like, what's happening? And I, I was thinking back to those different, the different topics we had, because giving that space, that space so it's not stimulus response, stimulus response. I, I just, I am, it, I am seeing that value in it. I, I absolutely am. And there's a richness in that. And, and I'll share this with you because you don't actually know this, you know, the space between, because I, you know, I took your kids last week for a walk in the woods, right? It was yeah. right after we had done that podcast or, or we recorded the podcast with Alex and it, William had said to me, it was like, let's go forest bathing. And I, I wasn't going to put everybody in the car and go out like truly to the woods, but there's the, you know, there's, there's a little bit of woods at the end of your street. Mm-hmm. So I said, all right, well, let's go across. And I knew your kids were, were around. And so I, we went for the walk with your kids. Right. And so we were down in the back and I was trying to like, 
okay, like, what are the senses that I'm getting? And I let the kids just play in the woods for a little bit. Like there wasn't many places to go. So I just, we walked to the end of the street. We let the kids play in the woods. And when they're down there, there's like this little, maybe like six foot embankment up to the higher level of woods. And they wanted to go off and explore. And so the kids scrambled up and, you know, your son Grant scrambled up and without anyone telling him and without his parents there watching him he turned around and without anyone saying anything he reached his hand down to nathaniel to just help him and that's some of that space but that was the character piece of it right that was the character piece that i wanted to share with you that i saw because he didn't even know i saw him do that like that was just character like hey here's the littlest kid here we all scrambled up with before I run off into the woods with everybody else, let me turn around and give you a hand up. So there is so much value to let them, you know, not have to say right away, don't forget to do this, but you know, we have to teach them and show them. Right. And they give them the space to, to do that. And I don't even know if he realized what he did, but it was just, it was very adult. Like he just turned around and reached and helped the youngest up. I think that Amy also talked a little bit about what the problem solving and the the social skills, how they are developed when you have outdoor education and outdoor experiences. The outdoors is a huge part of it. And I think we're making a really big deal about this because we had a couple of episodes that are themed about outside. And it's really, really important. This is a big message that we're trying to get out there that outside the four walls of your home is an incredible mental health and educational and social emotional opportunity that is underutilized in general. But it's not just the outside time that creates those problem solving skills and those um, interpersonal skills that you need for the creativity or the curiosity that we're hoping that our children will learn to have innately. It is the time that we give them to learn those things. It's the time spent letting them figure it out with each other, on their own, with a little bit of supervision, yes, but you know, maybe that's our influence. We have our influence on their development. Who they're going to be as people is not completely out of our control, but it isn't in our locus of control either. Our mm-hmm. kids are within our circle of influence. And that's pretty powerful because knowing that sheer hands-off time and outdoor time can create a huge influence on your kid's development is super important. I'd like to take them to historical sites and I want to go to another country, but I have to remember that moments while we're in those, those uh, targeted events, moments to step back and just let them figure out what they're doing there might actually make it twice as powerful as I had hoped it would be. I think that's, One of the things that I really want to personally work on is developing that skill of mindfulness and maybe even incorporate some meditation. I've never really gotten into meditation. It sounds cool. And every time I try to do it, I'm like, okay, breathe, breathe. And then I I, I try to focus my thoughts on just breathing. I'm like, there's got to be more to this. Like, we like, we got to, you know, float away like the Jedi like where am I getting the skill from like I I cannot shut off my brain enough to meditate and everything else it is very hard which I guess stimulus response you're stuck in the loop you're super stuck in the loop yep 
And so, but I, I do know that there are, that's part of what I personally need to work on is that, that mindfulness, that being present, that recognizing the space and, and getting a skill at the space, whether it's, you know, for my own life, per, you know, my, as a parent, as a, as an employee, as a friend, as a daughter, you know, and I, I think of that, that, that space, the stimulus, you know, again, the stimulus, the response that not giving the space and the hurry through, like, what are we, what are we trying to hurry, hurry to <laughs> like, it, we don't get a gold star because we get toward the end of our life quicker. And one of the things that I found as I, I am trying, I truly am trying to work on this, this develop, this, this pause, this, this, you know, right now in our, in our personal life, my husband is opening a new business, right? So he, he left his, his job to help with the, with the distant learning so I could work. And he, where many of many, many moms took the, the hit for the family and our, in our family, it was the dad, dad took the hit. And so he's been running the family. So there's just a lot on our plate right now, because as we're coming out of this, coming into the spring, his business is a seasonal business. So trying to launch a business, we've committed to having our, our kids distant learn, you know, my mom, my mom was diagnosed with cancer in January. And so we've had those treatments trying to figure out what the summer looks like, right? So, and now we're starting to roll in activities again. So all of that pause, that pause of pre-pandemic, pre-before we came home, our pause was longer. I can see the pause coming out. And it's like, it's almost like what, like you can picture like one of those movies, right? Where like the character like is like in the busy city street, like you've seen people film it this way, right? And all of a sudden, like everything slows down and like it just slows and like all the detail yeah. and then it like speeds back up again. And I feel like I'm about to like that speed back up again piece of my life, like that I'm coming out of that slow, that pause. But, and, and there is a point to this where it all comes around to is that I am finding when I have all of these things to do and I start to feel that anxiety and that panic of like, oh my God, like, what does this mean if he's not here to watch the kids and I still have to work and they're going to be here and what are they going to do in the summertime? And oh my gosh, my, my five-year-old wants to play paw print, which is he's a make-believe dog and I have to keep giving him journeys or quests and I'm honest to God out of a journey or quest. <laughs> And, and tonight we tried to ask Google and Google didn't understand and said, you need, he asked for a journey and, and, and Google said, you need a 20. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I could use a 20. That'd be great. We do a 20. But anyway, but, but when I feel that panic and that anxiety and that overwhelmed, I do feel myself like trying to slow it down instead of my old response was to speed through it. Yeah. And when I slow it down, you. it's more manageable. And and it's more of a mindset. Like, I am not going to think about, I heard this actually on another podcast that I really like. I, I listened to this podcast called Bigger Pockets, and it's it's real estate investing, but they, they do amazing shows on Sundays about mindfulness or mindset. So even if you're not into real estate investing, their, their Sunday shows, they bring on great authors, all about this stuff. So I... I a big shout out to them. And this comes from that. Um, but that 
you know, you plan for, you do plan for tomorrow. You, I have to make some plans, but you live in today. And I think that's part of that whole stimulus response, the pause, the, the, even the travel, right? You have to make your plans because you can't, you can't be aimless, right? That's not what we're, that's not what many of our goals are is to be aimless or driftless or, but, but you, you put your plans out, you put them out there and then you live in today, right? Maybe it's throwing that like ultimate marshmallow test, like throw a couple marshmallows <laughs> to your future self and then you live in today. I don't know. <laughs> I think this is a really huge responsibility that we have to model for our kids what this looks like, because I think we can all agree that society in general was hurtling towards cortisol levels that were unhealthy. Um, and we we were punished and forced to stay in our homes until we calmed the heck down, right? yeah. <laughs> like sit down people and stuff, stuff. A massive timeout. That is enough timeout. All of you. I'm going to bring this down to an even tinier level for a second. Okay. You know, when we talk about screen time, which we have talked about quite a bit, one of the things that I keep thinking of this whole time we're talking is I'm picturing kids and us adults, but um, let's talk about our children touching the iPad over and over and over and over and over and over and over. So those of you who are picturing your child right now on game that has ads that pops up in the middle, picture what, what you see on the screen and what their hands are doing. Nine times out of 10, what you see is a kid hitting, 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 hitting until that skip button works or until that X button works. What worries me about that kind of behavior, that's also the kind of behavior that you see when we skip reading um, disclaimers and, you know, mm -hmm. read this agreement, click agree, and then go on. Kids definitely have no idea the value of those things. And they're just click, 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 click until that mm -hmm. button is active and the whole thing can keep moving on. What we're seeing on sort of a symbolic level is the way nerves fire in the body. And I'm concerned because what I'm seeing their body doing is happening on a cellular level for them. Those of you who know about the action potential with nerves, know, you know what I'm talking about. You, you create a stimulus to a nerve and it creates a depolarization of the nerve, which then creates a spike in activity that sends a message to its source. And then it comes back down again. Before that cell can refire, before that nerve can refire and send another message, there is a latency period called the refractory period, where no matter how many times you fire that nerve, you stimulate that nerve, nothing will happen. It's dead time. It's recharging. And what I think kids are doing is they are, they are inundating that refractory period with, with movement and desire and impatience. And they're like, go, 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 go. It's not ready yet. The ability to take a deep breath and exhibit some self-control and impulse control and patience is important on a conscious level, on a metacognitive level, on a cellular neurological level, our bodies and our nerves need the latency time. They need that time to recharge before you ask it to fire again. It's not going to work, but what it does do is sets off nerve impulses in other parts of your body. It raises neurochemicals that cause stress and cause anxiety and cause hypervigilance. Watch, 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 watch. Oh, the button is active. Go. That is not healthy as a pattern of behavior. And it, you know, meditation, those who are very, very good at it, and the research that's been done on it talks about the psychosomatic effects of 
meditation. You can affect change on your body. You can reduce your risk of heart disease. You can combat symptoms of depression. You can work on your overall physical and mental health because you've taken time to heal your body and allow the mechanism and the machine that your body is to work as it's meant to. So I know I'm talking about this from all different angles, but I think you see what I'm getting at. You know, we both need that conscious time to say, okay, I'm being asked to make a decision in the time I have before I respond, accept discomfort, notice it, move on, make choices that are based on what your desired outcome is. If you want, you know, if you want that game to move on, notice that that's a time to wait and take a deep breath and just let it go. Like that is going to help you in in a long term in a way that noticing and stepping back and letting your kids explore the rocks without being micromanaged is going to help them. You know, there's a lot of different ways to look at this that is beneficial for everybody inside and out. Absolutely. And so, you know, like you said at the beginning, it feels like we're jumping around, right? Like my thought process, but it is all connected, whether it's at the you know, the cellular level of the nerve or the, you know, global level of the pandemic, there is a way that the rhythm of nature of a self that we function, that we're at our best and optimal self when we allow for the pause, whether it's before we interact with each other, before with our kids, um, that we allow some time for the pause and why I wanted to, to bring it up today, you know, again, we are, tra- you know, better family travel. There is a travel bringing it back to it. I think we travel better as ourselves and our family when we recognize and honor the need for those pauses and the value that they bring to us. Well said. I also have a tip, a better family travel tip. You do. I do. So the other part of work that was really great this week was I had a virtual wine tasting and it was amazing. Yes, you did. (laughs) I love where you work. (laughs) The neighbor benefits. (laughs) So I had a virtual wine tasting and this one was amazing, by the way. It was I learned so much about wine. I mean, I enjoy drinking wine. I I mean, I enjoy drinking wine. You and I like summer. But to really, really appreciate the wine, like learning more about it, I, I haven't had a chance to know what it is, you know, why I like certain things and everything else. And one of the things, the tip that I learned that I, I thought was, was really very helpful, there, well, there's a few actually, but when tasting wine, what we were taught the other night, and I will share this, is that never judge the wine by the first sip ever because your palate's not ready for it yet. So always do three sips before you judge a wine. The first sip, just, you know, you drink it, go down, and you're you're going to feel like the acid in certain parts of your palate. But it's really kind of cleansing it, to be honest. And I know that that sounds pretty pretentious, but it's true. Like you're you're going to bring to it whatever was in your mouth. Maybe you just brushed your teeth, right? Like think about yeah. like, you know, you, you brush your teeth and went have orange juice. You're going to judge orange juice right after you brush your teeth. Like it's really crappy orange juice. You're like, whoa, this is a horrible <laughs> taste, right? Yeah. Is that why some sommeliers spit the first sip out? I don't think so. I think they do it just, so, I think they do it so they don't get drunk. <laughs> Why? I know. Wait, just maybe, maybe, I, I, was, I was thinking okay. maybe 
They were just getting rid of the but toothpaste, be, the residual honest, toothpaste. Well, because the sommelier doesn't usually drink too much of it. They have to drink a lot, right? I don't know. This, that's my own theory. That could be totally full of it. So I don't know. Your way could be. Totally We're going right. to get a comment on the group. It's like, listen, yep. this is what I do. So, 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 so the <laughs> second sip is important. And the second sip, you have to swish all around your mouth, right? She didn't tell me how much time, but I would say like, you know, kind of count to like 20, like get it all around and then swallow. And you're going to taste it even differently. And then the, for the, for the third sip, like, nibble a little something food because food will also change how you appreciate it and so you maybe some of the wines you like with food and some of them you don't but like a cheese or something with a little bit fat and salt so that it will anchor it back to your um, taste buds on your tongue so you're going to want to bring the wine back and then if after that third sip you don't like it that wine's just not for you but here is a way to better appreciate wines so while you are allowing for these pauses on your vacation in this space, you will be also do it with some good wine. That sounds amazing and definitely is going to be on the agenda for the next trip. I have to bring my favorite cheeses with me. Thank you. That was perfect. You're welcome. With that, Better Family Travel is made possible by the amazing folks from CMG Podcast Network. Check out their list of unique podcasts and production services, too, over at clovercrestmedia.com. Thank you for leaving us feedback wherever you download our podcast. Keep downloading. Join our community on Facebook to stay current on our topics and resources and to provide corrections and comments to some of the things that we mentioned in this evening's episode. And look out for our new blog coming soon. Submit your questions to Ask BFT at Better Family Travel. Travel.com.